Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everybody. Gonna have an awesome PHP show today. We are talking to Matt Stauffer, who is the author of Laravel Up and Running. A huge Laravel fan, um, very knowledgeable, and very interested in getting people to try PHP and Laravel. So uh, if you've maybe come from the JavaScript ecosystem like us and you've never really been able to get into PHP, um, this is the episode for you. On another note, I'm going to be speaking at DevFest in Orlando on November 16th, and I'll be giving a talk on progressive web apps. So if you don't know what those are, come check it out. And of course, please like, subscribe, and sign up for our newsletter so you don't ever miss an episode. All right, on with the show. You ready, Eddie? Yep. Did not mean to rhyme that, but... <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> all right. So, welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work Junior. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. Have with me as always Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. Uh, front end. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie's intro is always different. So. Yeah. Um, and we also have a special guest with us. We have Matt Stouffer or Stauffer. Stauffer. I would like someone Stouffer. Stouffer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Matt, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm a full-stack Laravel React and Vue developer, um, so Laravel's on PHP. I um, run an agency called Titan, T-I-G-H-T-E-N, and uh, O'Reilly author, podcaster, teacher kind of guy, I guess. <laughs> so uh, cool. an expert in, I guess, Laravel and PHP and just web stuff, right? I'm trying. I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, yeah, we wanted to have Matt on the show today. We uh we had a, a brief exchange on Twitter where um, Matt mentioned uh, PHP and, you know, kind of some pitfalls with it. And we said, hey, we're a couple of JavaScript developers and we've heard a lot about PHP, but haven't really had that much success in trying it or getting started with it. So figured we would have Matt on the show and just kind of grill him about why is PHP so hard to get into? Yeah. Well, the so, funny uh, thing is, from my experience, it's actually not. But I'm uh, sorry, I'll, I'll let you ask the questions before I start running. <laughs> I'm hoping by the end of the interview, you guys are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. I want to try it today. That I think that's the goal. Um, yeah. And I I think that we're not alone. There's a lot of uh, maybe boot camp you know, graduates or new web developers out there, and they get started with this amazing JavaScript ecosystem where uh, everything is JavaScript, you know, Node.js fired up, billion tutorials on the Internet, super easy to install. Uh, everything runs in like CodePen or Code Sandbox or something like that, and then you come across PHP, and all of a sudden you're you're talking about like MAMP and WAMP and XAMPP and MySQL and all this junk, and you're kind of like, uh, gosh, where do I start? Plus, yeah. it's another language to learn, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, f interestingly, one of the values that we we pitch for PHP is its ubiquity, um, which kind of seems opposite to what you're just saying there. I mean, PHP is everywhere. And, and interestingly, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna talk Mac because almost everybody in our world, at least in the PHP world, uses Mac. Um, but a lot of this applies to um, Linux and a little bit to Windows. But your Mac has PHP on it already. Your Mac has MySQL on it already. Um, your VPS, if you spin up a VPS at DigitalOcean or Linode, it's got PHP on it. It's got MySQL on it. Now, it's configuring those that can definitely be a part of the challenge. But those things are already there, honestly, in a way that only until recently, JavaScript wasn't. Um, so while JavaScript is a lot easier when you're using Node because there's a lot of web-based solutions, like I love um, Glitch and you know other tools like that that allow you to run the Node in the browser, it's interesting when we have this conversation 
conversation about PHP versus JavaScript, it kind of pits them against each other. When in reality, like PHP developers, right, we write as much JavaScript as we write PHP in the first place. Um, and second of all, a lot of the comparisons, well, can you do this? I'm like, well, yeah, because you're talking about a front-end thing, and I write front-end JavaScript all day long. Node itself, I think the big benefit for JavaScript developers learning Node is that it's the same language-ish. Right. But like writing back end JavaScript is not really the same as writing front end JavaScript. It's just the same syntax. And so a lot of things where you're iterating over collections or whatever will be exactly the same. But the things you do in the day to day, you still have to learn fresh. So it's just a little bit more familiar. And interestingly, the PHP syntax is not that different from the JavaScript syntax. Um, and so what is most different is um, that it's way more OOP. Um, and so if someone has a full understanding of OOP and they're a very capable JavaScript developer, learning PHP is really not that much of a hurdle, which, and, and like I said, the vast, almost every PHP developer I know spends half their day in JavaScript and half their day in PHP. So I really just think of us as JavaScript developers who are using PHP in the backend instead of JavaScript developers who are using Node in the backend, but there's a ton of overlap there. Um, and in terms of giving it set up, I mean, I know that you got some questions coming about this, so I'll, I won't go into all of them, but it turns out that there's tools out there to, and it's not MAMP, WAMP, XAMPP, or any of those other AMPs um, that can <laughs> make, that. <laughs> yeah, that can make running PHP on your local machine it's so easy, unbelievably easy. I mean, I spin up a new machine and I'm up and running in minutes um, with these tools that we use. And so it's, it can feel overwhelming. And I'm hoping that we can build websites and tutorials on the kind of stuff that make it not that overwhelming. But a lot of the overwhelm comes from the fact that PHP has been around so long that there's crappy tools and crappy tutorials and crappy frameworks and crappy code bases in PHP in a way that there aren't in things like Ruby or Python or something like that. And so it's garnered a little bit of reputation that I think was fair 20 years ago and is not fair today. So, Yeah, 100%. Um, so you kind of brought up a lot of stuff uh, to unpack there, but yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely some differences to it. And I think it's kind of a it doesn't get a fair shake because, you know, a lot of people are coming from this pure JavaScript environment, which is probably because of things like boot camps where it's like, oh, well, we'll just teach them one language and that'll save yep. us a lot of time. And so you never kind of get that fair intro to PHP. So like Eddie and I's boot camp, uh, we had like one week of it in the very tail end yeah. of the course. And it was like a couple hours of spaghetti PHP. <laughs> and then like... Yep another couple of hours of like, here's Laravel and looking at a Laravel project coming from a node project, you just get overwhelmed by yeah, the sure. folders and files and config and all this stuff. And you're like, gosh, where do I even, where, where does my code go in this pile of code that it generated for me? So, you know, beyond that, like dealing with composer and, and all this other stuff kind of makes everybody want to like push it to the side. Yeah. But that being yeah. said, like you're absolutely right. A ton of the internet is running on PHP Right. Like I've heard numbers like 70% or something of all websites. Yep. Now, a big, a big portion of that is WordPress, Drupal, Expression Engine, Craft. So it, one of the things, and that actually leads to an interesting aspect of it, which is that one of the big benefits PHP provides, now I, I think there's a lot of values it provides as a language. Um, it's ubiquitous, it's fast, um, there's some really nice things about writing, and there's some really crappy things about writing it, which I think is this, when you look at that spaghetti code experience, when you think about a lot of Ruby and Python programmers who used to write PHP 10 years ago, and they say, oh, PHP is this terrible language, 
you you can do those things, and that is in its history. I do think modern PHP is a lot more fun to write. But the bigger value that PHP has to offer is the mature and robust ecosystem of tooling around it, and that's both frameworks and CMSs and packages and software as a service and platform as a service. Um, I I would suggest that PHP has potentially the most mature and robust ecosystem of tools um, in the open source world. Um, now, I don't want to talk about Microsoft or anything like that, but if you're talking open source, there's so much. I mean, in e- like Ruby has a lot of great tools, but first of all, we've been around a lot longer and so we have a lot more. Um, but second of all, Ruby, just because of being an application building framework, does not really have mature and robust forums or CMSs or blogging to platforms or something like that in the same way that PHP does. So one of the big reasons it powers so much of the internet has been around for a long time, but another one is because there's tools for so many more needs than custom application development. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, I encourage people to consider learning PHP is because I think it, when you really focus in on custom application development, Laravel is fantastic, but there's also a lot of other great tools out there. You know, Ruby on Rails is great. .NET MVC is great if you want to be in there. And there are some good tools in the Node ecosystem, although I also think that that has not yet reached the level of maturity where you guys really have like a like a Laravel alternative. Um, and so the the full, like the true full stack application building framework in Node doesn't exist yet. And there's quite a few contenders, but none of them are there yet. Whereas we have several of them, and I think Laravel is the top of the stack, but there's also other ones. So I think one of the things to just really look at there is not just the language, but the tooling and the ecosystem around it. And that's where it starts becoming more compelling um, to learn for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, I know that there's, uh, and I was going to make this joke later, but there's a lot of jokes about like, oh, what is this dot syntax where I have to concatenate strings or whatever? Yep. Uh, Why can't I use plus or whatever? But really... Um, coming at it from a JavaScript developer and taking like a setback, uh, like you mentioned, Node itself, you've got to kind of write everything yourself from scratch. Yep. And PHP has a ton of great accelerators for that. Like, you know, oh, I need a CMS. Well, here's eight different options to choose from. Yep. Whereas with Node, you're kind of like, uh, I guess I'll use Contentful and pay them like a hundred bucks a month or something. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, so that's that's not a great alternative in my opinion, uh, especially when PHP has like solved that problem already. So kind of like from a JavaScript standpoint, um, or at least a full stack JavaScript developer, like I kind of see PHP as this walled garden of like magical things. And I I don't have the, the experience to like jump in there and and kind of use them. So, um, that, that's kind of the challenge that, that we face. Yeah. Well, I know you had mentioned earlier about the difficulty of getting a local environment setting up. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll just geek about that just for a second to hopefully make it feel a little bit less overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so if ahead. we were going to get started with PHP, like what, where should we start? Yeah, use a Mac. Um, that, that's where to start. <laughs> um, and plenty of people don't. And so Linux, everything is going to be the same in Linux. It's just going to be, you know, the commands will be a little bit different. Um, on Windows, you almost are definitely going to um, end up using Docker. Um, and there's quite a few Laravel and broader PHP targeted Docker instances that make all this possible. Back in the day, we would use these downloadable files, uh, tools. So if anybody who's listening has never heard of them, MAMP, ZAMP, WAMP, all those things, they are. So it would basically, like on your Mac, it would install Apache, MySQL, PHP, and it would configure them all and keep them running. And it was sometimes hard to get it working. And when it didn't work, it was just like a wall, you know, a black box. I have no idea what's going on. It's just a, it's an installable. So we don't use that anymore at all. Um, like I, I, I would strongly recommend anybody who's currently using them to stop using them. Uh, for many reasons, one of which is that we don't use Apache anymore. Everybody uses Nginx. Um, but also because the command line tooling available to us, you know, is so much better than it used to be. So 
Um, if someone were to say, I'm going to write Valet today, where should I get started? First of all, I'd follow a tutorial. I wouldn't just listen to some guy in a podcast. But in terms of the tooling, what, <laughs> what I would... Oh, sorry, I said Valet. I meant PHP, local PHP. I would use Laravel Valet. And it's a tool that Laravel provides to the entire PHP ecosystem that is basically a command line manager that installs all the tooling that you need to run, uh, very simply run PHP applications from your local machine. So the workflow for this works like this. So if you're, if you're familiar with NPM, Composer is our package manager. So Composer, and because we all use JavaScript, we all have Composer and NPM um, connected to each of our applications. And just like NPM, it reaches into a central package repository that pulls everything primarily from GitHub. And you basically identify that package by a string and a version constraint, and you say install it, and then you run Composer install, and then it installs the dependencies in a folder that gets massive and overwhelming, and then you make other tools later to <laughs> delete all of it. It's all the same stuff as node modules and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so you end up having installed dependencies of other people's code into your project, and you can also use Composer to create a brand new project. So one of the things you can do with Composer, just like with NPM, is you can globally install dependencies in your machine. So you install Composer, and one of the first things you do is globally install Laravel Valet. And then Valet basically installs a whole bunch of stuff, and then you park it at a particular folder. So I've got a you know, home slash sites folder. And all my sites that I run are one level beneath sites. So I parked valet at slash sites. Um, and that means every single subfolder in sites, if you append dot test to the end of that folder name, it'll just show up and start serving from that folder. Um, it's targeted almost entirely at static HTML um, and PHP servers. So one of the things we could potentially do is make valet useful for people who are serving, because uh, it basically sniffs out the directory structure of your site to figure out if it's in WordPress, then it's going to be serving this index.php file. If it's Laravel, it's going to be this file. If it's a static HTML file or a site, it'll probably be looking for that file. So based on sniffing out the directory, it parses it out, figures out what it's serving, and then serves it through Nginx. And that's it. So if I'm creating a new Laravel app for the first time, I install Composer. Um, I install the Laravel installer, which is another global thing. I install Valet, and then I go to my sites directory and I type Laravel space new space my awesome project. Spins the whole thing up, um, and it does have a lot of files, which we can talk about in a second. Um, and then um, I go to my browser and I type myawesomeproject.test, and it is instantly serving that brand new site. Um, and so that's a very different experience from MAMP and WAMP and ZAMP and configuring all these kind of things. And so that's one of the value piece, valuable pieces about working with it today is that we don't need all of that crazy tooling that we used to need. Now, if you're working with a little bit more old school of a PHP framework or something like that, like a WordPress, there might be a few more steps to get up and running. They might have an installer, like WordPress has an installer, or you have to get your WP config files running. But even so, we've got a, a WordPress driver for Valet. So once you take those couple steps, you're still up and running very quickly. And we do all of our local development now on that. And if you want to geek out more, there's a lot of people who are working with either Vagrant or Docker. There are official um, and unofficial um, Vagrant and Docker tools for Laravel and also for lots of other ones. But Laravel has an official project called Homestead that is basically a Laravel-specific um, uh, Vagrant box that has parity um, with the uh, official VPSs that Laravel makes it really easy for you to spin up with a Laravel you know, pro project called Forge. So you pay Forge 10 bucks a month and you spin up as many VPSs as you want on DigitalOcean or Linode. And then you use Valet or Homestead or um, Vessel, which is a, um, a local one that is on Docker. There's just so many tools, right? Like you pick what you want. 
we have so many tools that can be overwhelming, which is why I say to new, new newcomers, I say, use Laravel if you're going to build custom applications, use Valet. And then if you want to geek out about Docker and Vagrant and all that stuff later, you can, but don't worry about that right off the bat. What, but, but the benefit is just like you said, when you do want to do something that wasn't a part of your initial learning, you're not going to do it from scratch. Somebody out there has built that already. Oh, I really want to stop using Valet and I want to use Docker. Cool. The Docker, you know, Chris Vidal knows Docker and he already made Vessel and Vessel's amazing. It's just like Valet, but on Docker. And I want to do Vagrant. Oh, Homestead out there. It's already great. I want to spin up VPSs so I can start hosting my stuff. Yeah, Forge is out there. Yeah, but I really want it to be um, zero downtime deploy, like Capistrano style deploys. Oh, don't worry about it. Envoy is out there. You know, like everything you can imagine, we've already got robust tooling out there for it. So that was a long answer to a short question. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's uh, my only fear is that people are like hearing all these frameworks and keywords and stuff and they're just kind of blowing over their head. But, well, uh, let me go. Let me go the simple way. If someone were to consider starting PHP today, and they were coming from a Node full stack Node world, I would say you're probably writing custom web applications in full stack Node. You're not writing CMSs or anything like that. So the cl- the closest parallel would be Laravel because Laravel is the most modern and therefore the most similar to Node way of thinking about building applications. So if you want to do it today, first of all, I'm going to link some, uh, give you some names to some websites later that'll make it a lot easier. And I'm also Twitch streaming me doing a lot of this stuff for beginners. So check out those. But if you were just to do it like from scratch today, Laravel as a framework, L-A-R-A-V-E-L, Valet for your local hosting, V-A-L-E-T, Composer for dependency management. That's it. Start on those. You know, and and I, again, I got a whole bunch of websites I'm building that is, I'm trying to make it easier for new people to enter our ecosystem. But all those other terms are down the road. You know, just start with those those few pieces up front. I can get behind that. Um, I do have to to ask the hard question, which is yes, I have a lot of or have had a lot of students that have come through, and they don't have a Mac. Yeah. So there's people out there that are trying to get their first job. They're running on like their desktop at home or something, or an old Windows laptop. And they're trying to learn PHP and, you know, they don't have it installed because it's, you know, Windows and not Mac. So um, are you stuck with like Zamp or Wamp or whatever? No, or, no. I, I don't know if I would want, like advise those people to go out and learn Docker right off the bat. So definitely not. Is, is there an answer for that? Yeah. So there's a cool tool called Laragon, L-A-R-A-G-O-N. And it is basically trying to do this same level of simple setup um, for Windows folks. The reason it has to be not just like Homestead for Windows or Valet for Windows is because there's a lot more steps that it has to take responsibility for. Um, but literally, if you go to laragon.org, L-A-R-A-G-O-N, the first sentence is, I was using XAMPP for local development until about a year ago when I found Laragon and I haven't looked back since. It, if you're a Windows user, there's three or four main tools for you that will still make it be good and easy. But the problem is I'm not a Windows person. So whereas with with um, Linux and Mac, I can tell you this is the one. Don't worry about those other ones. With Windows, I can't. But I can tell you that Laragon is the one I hear recommended way more than the other ones. So if you're a Windows dev, check out Laragon. Mm, Excellent. Yeah, like I said, there, there's a lot of people that are just kind of like up and coming and they don't have an employer yeah. that can hand them a, a MacBook. <laughs> yeah, and the, and I won't go too too geeky on this, but we actually have met, um, There's if you check out the Healthy Hacker podcast, his name's Chris something, he used to be a GitHub, and he might still be a GitHub. He has started this really interesting thing where he pays Linode five bucks a month and does all of his development on a Linode instance. 
And so, but you have to be like a Vim user and stuff like that. So I don't think that's going to be viable for people, but VS Code has a plugin that allows you to set your local file system to be a remote instance. So this, again, this is not beginner level, but if you are a stuck on a Windows machine and you're interested in geeking out on something like that, go check out the Healthy Hacker podcast. And it's a really interesting idea that maybe might tickle somebody's fancy. Awesome. Yeah, I would imagine that like kind of by the time you have learned enough Laravel to maybe think about deploying stuff. Uh, there's, like you said, there's a lot of spilled ink out there about it and tutorials and all that kind of good stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, and the, the, the canonical way to learn, um, is Laracasts, which is, um, L-A-R-A-C-A-S-T-S.com. And there's a whole ton of free resources on there. So if you're really, if you're a video type person, just go start there and consume all the free resources there. I think there might be like a one month free trial too. And there's a ton of other tutorials and anything like that but that is definitely almost everybody starts there um even if you never signed up for a paid one at least just go consume all their free stuff okay so maybe walking it back a little bit um because we've talked a whole lot about laravel and we haven't really even kind of talked about the differences between php and javascript or even what laravel is so um maybe we could start with like what are some pitfalls for for php if you're coming from any other language or something like javascript yeah i think the 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 biggest difficulty with php if you're coming from javascript is that um and i've never actually come from javascript to php before so i'm going to do my best at understanding (laughs) it um but my biggest guess is that uh it's similar to what a lot of our biggest complaints are is that um there can sometimes it can be a little unpredictable in terms of the array the the array sorry there's two two primary things that people complain about. One of them is that the parameter order is often a little bit difficult to predict. And you'll think like if so if you think about a lot of methods that um, languages provide, they've got a needle in a haystack somewhere. And in PHP, one of the things that we've found is that some things are needle haystack and some things are haystack needle. And what it ends up being, it, it is internally consistent and it has to do with the string related methods are one way and the array related methods are another way, but it can take a little bit of time for new people to understand. And I think one of the other common difficulties is that a lot of the conveniences that we as modern programmers rely on, for example, like collection pipelines where you are going to map over something over filter something over something, we don't have those natively in PHP yet. Um, if you want that particular thing, which is, I think is probably the most the, the most irritating thing to me that PHP is missing, which is the collection pipeline, Laravel has one out of the bat. And if you wanted to write a non-Laravel project, um, my company Titan extracted with Taylor's permission, the guy who created Laravel, just the collection pipeline code. And so it's called collect. And so if you just look up Titan Co. and then collect, um, you'll find it. And I, I can give a link to the guys as well. Um, but basically missing map and filter and stuff like that out of the box is difficult. We also don't have the same level of object primitives. And so like, for example, in JavaScript, a string is really an instance of a string object, or I don't, I don't always remember the exact same, the wording for it. That's not the case in, uh, in PHP. You can't overload a method on the string, you know, primitive or something like that. It's literally just a string. That's all it is. So some of the native language level conveniences that we work with, we're iterating over, um, objects and arrays and even on strings and stuff like that are not available in php and so what you'll find is some of those types of things we rely a little bit more on user land um, packages to do that kind of stuff for example laravel's collections are really popular even if you're not running laravel Um, outside of that i think the biggest 
complication would be its verbosity. Um, and you mentioned this when you said, <laughs> I spin up a new Laravel project and there's so many files there. But even in, in a given class, especially if you're used to, if you've ever looked at like Python or Ruby or something like that, they're much more concise languages. Um, we have, so if you, if you are like, take open up Ruby and Java right next to each other, um, Ruby is super terse, super concise. There's not a whole bunch of extra letters and braces and all that kind of stuff. You just tell it what to do and don't do anything else. And Java is like three quarters of your code that you're writing is just comments and structs and syntaxes and type <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, JavaScript tends to be a little bit more on the Ruby side there. PHP is probably right in the middle. So I think for a JavaScript developer, it might feel a little bit like, why is all this cruft here when it doesn't necessarily need to be? And that's just, you know, that's the nature of the language. Um, you know, one of the things we do at Titan is we just delete a whole bunch of the crap, like all the stuff you don't have to have, but could be there, we just delete it. And so I often talk to other PHP developers and we're like, yeah, we're the Ruby flavored, you know, PHP developers. And some might, you know, some other people are the Java flavor flavored ones and they'll put as much of that you know uh, annotation as stuff as possible but honestly i think once you get it up and running if you have a good grasp on object-oriented programming um it's not really going to be that much of a jump to get to because they're very similar languages in a lot of ways cool so um outside of like laravel itself um i've heard that php is stateless Whereas uh, maybe something like a node server could hold on to things in memory. But whenever you hit like a PHP endpoint, uh, it's like you're hitting it fresh for the first time, yep. which is, I guess, part of the speed. So can you maybe speak to that and maybe explain it a little bit? Yeah, so there's, um, it's exactly what you said. Every new request that comes into a PHP web server um, spins up a new thread and it processes through the whole thing, spits out a result, and then the thread dies. And I don't know if thread is the exact right word because I'm not a computer science guy. Um, but in, in <laughs> essence, it's not long running with multiple requests coming into the same version of your thing that was spun up, spins it up, takes in input, processes, sends out output, spins back down. Um, and so it, like you said, that is part of why it's fast. Um, but it's also part of why it's, it's, it's low memory. Um, there's a lot less configuration issues that you run into because you don't need to worry about garbage collection. A lot of those other things that you would with, with some of the other server side languages, because it just spins up takes a request and spits it back out. You can run into issues where, well, how many threads can we have running at any given moment? But that's really not the type of stuff that you're going to run into until you've got a DevOps team anyway. Um, so our day-to-day -day experience really is just that you can trust that you don't have to think about that stuff. That's really the thing. Like, because when you think about something persisting between one request and the other, very few of those persisting things are things that are of value to us as developers, and most of them are of pain, right? Uh, oh, I have to think about garbage collection. Oh, I have to think about memory usage. Oh, I have to think about something else. Well, with PHP, just don't think about those things. And you say, oh, well, won't I lose stuff between them? Well, you've got the session. You've got cache. You've got cookies. You've got databases. You know, you can use Redis. You can use all those things. So there's plenty of ways to have persistence between requests such that you don't really need to worry about any cost being introduced by that. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's a good way to look at it. Um, I know I've I've had to debug a memory leak with Node before, and it was not a fun experience. Yeah, for sure. It, it was a it was a big head scratcher. So. Well, and and there it's sort of the difference. It's not like the difference between um, SPAs versus um, JavaScript components on a single page. Like if you navigate from one page to another, you get a fresh version of your JavaScript instance. So so even if it's got a memory leak, unless you expect people to sit on that page for ten hours, it's not a big deal. Whereas with an SPA, they could be navigating through your entire app for a long time, and it's still that same you know whatever I don't know what the word would be, but instance 
instance of JavaScript that was spun up. And so those memory leaks suddenly become much more of a problem. So that would be a Ruby versus um, JavaScript or, a, or a, sorry, a Ruby versus PHP or a Node versus PHP type comparison. You actually landed on a really interesting point, and that's this kind of like uh, componentized version of a, like, let's say you're going to hit an endpoint and it returns you a single page, and on that page you're running like view or something. Um, whereas maybe a lot of people are used to running like a view app with like its own router in it. And so you get the initial hit where it downloads everything, and then you're not downloading anything after that. So with PHP, like every time you hit an endpoint, it serves you a new page. Um, you may, you know, have like a CDN link with view on it or something like that, and then just let it spin up its own mini view app. So is that like the standard workflow for PHP or do you guys run like one endpoint that loads like the front end and then all the other endpoints are purely API or yeah. what's kind of the workflow there? That's a fantastic question with a very complicated answer that I'll try and make simple. <laughs> so classic PHP, you, you get a request, PHP spins up, figures out the output, and then spits it back up. Classic PHP++ is that with jQuery or prototype or something like that on top of it. Then we all started you know, adding some of the more complicated front-end frameworks, which eventually ended up being React and Vue, but primary, prior to that, we had a lot of other ones. And so you would have a single widget or component on the page. And usually when that widget or component on the page loaded, it would be just like you said, loaded from a CDN or a single script or something like that. If it needs data, the data was likely passed in via the HTML that PHP generated. Maybe it makes a, like a small little API call, but probably not. That still happens. Um, there's quite a few folks who, um, you know, and quite a few projects even that Titan works on where we'll rely on Laravel for everything. Laravel will render it and then it will spit out um, basically view code. We tend to not pull in the CDN and instead we have an NPM build step using Webpack. Um, so with Laravel, you got a Webpack config called Laravel Mix that's shipped out of the box that makes it really easy to build reactor view components. So we'll build a component on any page that needs it and that component is built into our app.js or you can do all the tree shaking fanciness that I tend to not have to think about because I'm not the one who's usually assigned to these big old, bigger, um, you know, full SPAs, but all that stuff's possible. However, a lot of our work is also full React and React Router or full View and View Router SPAs. Um, so the difference there is primarily just that the thing that's serving the data up to View or up to React is Laravel instead of Node. So there's plenty of applications that we build at Titan that are Laravel is the API, and then Laravel Mix is the Webpack configurer that then spits out the view components and the, the final files for that. But in the end, it's just a view app that consumes a Laravel API or a React app that consumes a Laravel API. We also do have a few um, hybrids. Um, so there's the one tool that um, Rails uses a lot in Turbolinks. So there's quite a few people who use Turbolinks. And if anyone's not familiar, it's a way to use JavaScript on top of a traditional web rendering framework where, like an SPA, JavaScript captures the link that you catch and then gets the data and then puts it onto the page that you're on. So your browser's never actually changing URLs. But unlike SPAs with TurboLinks, it's going and fetching a server rendered page and then scraping out the head and the HTML tags and stuff like that. And then basically replacing the body tag or the div ID equals app tag or whatever else with that content. And so you get this really fast um, because you're not not as many HTTP requests. You can prefetch that next page really well. And you're not having to go out and re-request the styles and re-request the job JavaScript and stuff like that. So that's one option. Um, Rails does that, and a lot of people in the Laravel world do that. Um, there's also two new projects coming out of the Laravel world called Inertia and Livewire. Um, so Inertia is 
complicated enough that I can't go into it in a podcast, but it is yet another way of thinking about mixing up using JavaScript and the um, and and server rendered you know data and templates and stuff like that. And then LiveWire is a similar one where you're using a very like PHP style syntax, but it's actually JavaScript that's serving it. That was originally over um, streams and that turned out not to be fast. It's very similar to a, um, a Phoenix project called Live something else. So anyway, I'm not gonna geek out on those because they're stuff we're just learning, but the, the paradigms that you can choose to use in the PHP world of how much is rendered by PHP and how much is rendered by JavaScript are basically, they're not infinite, but they're incredibly, they're, they're numerous. Um, and all of those are valid ways to write PHP, basically, or Laravel or whatever else. So what you're saying is there's a lot of options to choose from when it comes to do I want the server to render everything or do I want the front end to render everything and just consume API and then between the two there's a lot of different mix and match kind of opportunities with different uh, I guess frameworks that you could pull into your project. Yeah, it's a much simpler way of saying what I just said. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we talked about uh, server rendered and kind of like... Uh, client rendered um, applications and SPAs and all that good stuff. Um, I've heard somebody recommend that uh, if you're going to do PHP, like don't even bother with regular PHP, just dive directly into Laravel. So do you agree with that? And I don't uh, know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so it's like the old, do you learn jQuery or, or um, JavaScript first question? Um, so for the longest time, we've all assumed that you need to learn PHP before you learn Laravel. And recently, within the last year, um, I was talking about how I'm very interested in um, sharing basically what the goodness of Laravel with other people. I gave a whole conference talk that will hopefully be on YouTube shortly at Laracon this year, basically saying... Um, hey, we, you know, we've been doing this for eight years. Why have we seen so much success? Why was Laravel able to sell out the PlayStation Theater in, you know, downtown New York and stuff like that? Um, and I go, went through a whole bunch of reasons of what's so great about Laravel. And then, but the second half of the talk was, if that's so great, uh, why don't we work harder to give other people the opportunities to have their lives transformed like ours were? Because that's what you hear all the time. Like people have a weird but understandable level of affinity for Laravel because so, so, so many people are like, oh, I was doing X before and because of Laravel, I was able to now do Y. And it's this, it's the tech bootcamp startup dream, you know, where we, we say I used to be serving fries and now I have the opportunity to do this. And you, you meet a lot of people at Laracons and in Laravel communities that are saying that same thing. I used to be doing this thing that I hated and I was able to learn Laravel really quickly and now I'm able to get a really good job or build my dream app or something like that. So I said, if that's true, if that's the magic of Laravel, how do we expose that to more people? And there's two big reasons for that. One is because if you find something good, why not, why not share with other people? But the other one is because I would love to see our community grow uh, in numbers and grow in diversity. And that requires us to be actively reaching out and giving opportunities to other people to join this space. So I said, one of the things I want to do with my time this year is to uh, make it easier for more people to join. And I, I'm the sort that when I have an idea, I go out and buy a domain for it immediately. So I immediately bought three domains when I was working on this talk. Um, and they all are... Typical. Yeah, exactly. And they're all around asking asking these questions about what does it look like for somebody to join the Laravel world? And so I originally bought omgphp.com 
onramp.dev <laughs> and then yphp.dev. And the idea I was kind of having there is onramp is going to be this tool that makes it super easy for someone who wants an onramp in the Laravel world to join it, either from WordPress development, from front-end development, or not being a coder at all. So pick one of those three tracks and for free, we'll walk you through all the resources that are out there to help you learn that why php.dev was supposed to be asking the question of why would you actually pick php which is why i love that you all asked me on the podcast because i'm like oh i'm in the middle of thinking about that and then omgphp.com.com i think yeah was was if i were to tell someone to start writing php today where would i send them you know what where would i want them to learn where would i want them to stay away from like one of the big problems with php if you learn it today is that there are articles from 15 years ago or communities that started 15 years ago that are really not good for people to be in right like and i'm sorry to anybody who is a wonderful human being on the reddit um slash php or r slash laravel communities but <laughs> there's enough toxicity in those spaces that don't go near them right and so i want to be able to tell people hey consider it laravel consider php but don't go there and do go here so so anyway, I, I'm spending a lot of time and effort thinking those things and wondering about them. And one of the questions that come, has come up is what is is exactly what you just asked. Is it better to learn PHP and then Laravel or the other way around? So I want to give a huge caveat in that I'm a Laravel guy much more than I'm a PHP guy. Um, the story of many, 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 many programmers who were in the Laravel community was I used to write PHP because whatever. I was leaving PHP because it was out of date and blah, 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 and we didn't have something. And I was leaving for usually Rails, but not always. And then Laravel came around. Or I left, and then Laravel came around, and I came back. So for a lot of us who are more likely to be in the worlds where we're interacting with no developers, in the worlds where we're considering Rails, or we have been Rails developers, whatever else, um, those of us tend to be Laravel developers. And there's a lot of other people who have been happily writing PHP for ages and love PHP and think it's wonderful, but that's not nearly as much the case in the Laravel world. So one of the things I realized is that while I do think that learning PHP is wonderful because you don't just get Laravel jobs, and that's one of the reasons why I think that PHP is worth learning is because you're not just getting yet another full stack application development on your resume. You also can get jobs in Drupal, Joomla, WordPress, Expression Engine, Craft CMS, Statomic, all these millions of other tools out there that use PHP, and all of them are still running, and all of them need people to maintain them. So you're both learning what I think is a really fantastic web app application development, like bespoke custom web application development world, but then you're also learning all this other stuff. So in theory, I should be saying, go learn PHP first. However, <laughs> if you are interested in custom web application development, I think, and especially if you already understand like the general ideas of MVC and, and OOP and that kind of stuff, Laravel is a really healthy space for you to both learn PHP as you go, learn JavaScript better as you go, learn OOP better as you go, and be doing actual productive stuff from day one. Like, because if somebody went and wrote, one of the things that helps us learn is getting excited that we can build something real. Like a lot of us, so I started coding in the 90s, so I was excited about coding because I view sourced, I copied it, I pasted it, I changed it, and it was in my browser. And that day, I was showing people stuff in my browser, and that was amazing. If you go learn PHP today, the type of stuff that just straight PHP tutorials are going to have you doing are not actually practical things. Nobody in their right mind writes vanilla PHP and puts it out on the internet today. There are not a lot of people that write vanilla JavaScript and put it out on the internet, but they at least exist. But nobody who's being reasonable and thoughtful actually writes vanilla PHP today. They all use frameworks or tools or occasionally build their own custom frameworks by cobbling together pack, pre-made packages. So learning PHP today, while I think you should learn PHP, the problem is you're going to be really far in before you actually do something practical. Um, and that sounds really crappy way to learn to me. So for that reason, I've come to the to the other side of learn 
Laravel, learn PHP as you're learning Laravel. And one of the things that Laravel does really well, which I love, is it also teaches you um, design patterns. It teaches you OOP patterns. It teaches you, you know, good um, uh, version control hygiene, um, good security practices because they're all baked in. And so you can go and create something not realizing that you're standing on the shoulders of all those things being baked in. But the more you get to know the framework, the more you have to learn all those really good things. And when I asked recently about like people's experiences with learning Laravel, more and more people that I ever could have imagined said, oh yeah, I learned design patterns because in order to learn how to use, for example, the queuing system or the job system or the facade system or whatever else in Laravel, I had to learn the design pattern that backed it. And then all of a sudden I knew the design pattern without even realizing it. So I would say for that reason, and primarily for the reason that you should, if you learn something today, you should be able to build something useful today, even if it does one thing, right? So that is true in Laravel in a way I don't think it is in vanilla PHP. So I would say start with Laravel or start with WordPress or, you know, whatever else excites you. Cool. Yeah, that was a, a very in-depth answer. So we, we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the topic of design patterns, uh, I'll say that in my experience, um, taking a bootcamp and also working at one, I've seen a lot of comprehension kind of break down whenever students go from learning front-end JavaScript where it's like, well, I just click the file and it runs in my browser mm -hmm. to node and then to design patterns. So like, oh, I have to create a controllers folder and then put my JavaScript in there. Why would I not just write it all in one server file or something? And it becomes really hard to teach that whenever you're trying to keep it simple enough to understand, but then also complex enough to justify all the files and folders everywhere and, and things like that. And so I know Laravel has like a lot of stuff everywhere and you kind of do work in different sections of the project. So um, maybe if you could tell us like, you know, because Laravel is a little bit, well, maybe a lot more opinionated than Node, like what all the stuff that you get when you start a Laravel project is and like how you actually would use it. Yeah, that's a great idea. And and you're you're absolutely right. We just throw them in the friggin' deep end. Just say, hey, you, you know what? Here's the here's the folders, figure it out. Um but but the good news is that the vast majority of those folders you can ignore. And I love that when you when you on Twitter said, Hey, I, I did my first um Laravel thing and there was just so many files. Nobody's ever said that to me, and I really appreciated you saying that because I said, oh, well, you know what? Maybe I need to be doing a better job of addressing someone who doesn't start from Laracasts or doesn't start from my book or something like that and just installs it from scratch off of GitHub and goes, what on earth am I looking at here? Um, so I'll, I'll just give a really quick rundown of a couple of the most important things. Um, the the simplest thing is, and like I said, I I started Twitch streaming yesterday, but I'm actually going to restart it again next time. Um, but if you just go to mattstoffer.com slash, I think it's slash stream, I'm putting links to all my streams and also the different places I stream. I stream to Twitch and YouTube. When my goal is to have basically like a history of all these videos of how I build a Laravel site from the beginning, where I'm talking to people assuming it's their first time with Laravel or they're relatively new to this. So if somebody says, look, that's this is all cool. I'm learning all this stuff. How do I actually learn it? Hopefully I can point them to stream one where I start with this first file, which I'm about to tell you all about. So I'm actually just thinking back to my first stream as I say this. Um, in Laravel, it's your, it, it is MVC. And if anybody's not familiar with MVC, that's model view controller. And so what that means is um, every single time a request comes in, you're assuming it's going to be, let's not think about console calls right now. If we're just thinking about HTTP requests from a browser. So you have a URL 
And that URL is passed into some system, some router that then translates that to a request that's made in MVC world to a controller. And a controller is like a traffic cop and its responsibility is saying, given this URL, given the, the request that was just made, where should I dispatch this off to? You know, and usually that dispatching involves um, reading data from the database, sending other data out to a cache, sending an email, whatever else. And then usually in MVC, it then says, okay, now what am I going to show to user, the user? And the controller knows, based on the request that comes in, what view. And it says, oh, this, this means I should get the login view. And so it pulls that view and then sends it out to the user. So that's general MVC. Um, the good thing is with Laravel, you don't have to do that full stack on day one. Um, and so when I first start people, the first thing I do is say, well, we actually have a file that is called routes slash web.php. And if you were to open a brand new Laravel app and you go to routes slash web.php, that file is the, the actual traffic cop for all web requests. And there's other ones, routes slash api.php, routes slash console, don't worry about those. Routes slash web.php says, if I'm hosting this at my awesome uh, app.test slash, um, you know, ABC, the first thing it's going to do is look at that route slash test or route slash web.php file and say, is there a route defined for the slash ABC route? And if so, what does it tell me I'm supposed to do when somebody visits there? And there's all sorts of things it can map them to. It can map them to a controller and the controller is a class that tells it, you know, what should I do with this request? And it might, again, send email, pull data, but you don't have to. Um, we have a concept in PHP called closures, which are basically the same as just uh, anonymous functions in JavaScript. So you basically just pass a function in somewhere and all it is is just basically, you know, like the parameters, the things taking braces and then code inside of it. So if you were to imagine in JavaScript, you were to say, you know, define a route at ABC. What should happen when I hit ABC? This anonymous function right here, that's what the simplest routing in Laravel looks like. And you could build an entire functioning Laravel web app by only ever making code in that route slash web.php file. So while there is a lot of other stuff, that file is essentially the same as your basic node file. It's it's mapping requests that come in to responses that should go out and some things happen in the interim. So the simplest possible thing what you would say is, you know, route colon colon get, and you can define this get, get post patch, delete all the different HTTP requests, um, you know, and then you pass this the first parameter. So it would be ABC. And the second parameter, you pass this closure anonymous function. And then inside there, you run some PHP code that does whatever you want. And so you could say something like delete a file, send an email, and at the end, echo ABC. And somebody would open up their browser and the file would be deleted and the email would be sent and they would see ABC in their browser and that's it. Everything else is just layers on top of that. So there's controllers that help you organize that code better. There's models that help you interact with the database in more reasonable ways. There's views that help you do complex templating where this template inherits from that template and then subjoins data from that template. That's all possible, but it's not actually necessary. It's just conveniences. Um, there's a lot of things where, um, if you're familiar with the concept of middleware, which I think is pretty common in Node these days, we have middleware. So if you want things to happen to the request before and after it hits route slash web.php, you can create and register middleware. Um, there's service providers where um, you basically say, so remember in the, um, in the PHP world, your entire app is spun up and then spun back down on every request. And so service providers are the things that we use to say, every time I'm spinning up, do these things. Every time I'm spinning down, do those things. And so you're binding things in your containers or whatever else. Um, 
there's commands and jobs and cues that help you encapsulate certain pieces of functionality that might be called on a regular basis. Let's say you have a command that um, sends a, a greeting message to a new user, but you might get a new user spun up in three different ways. Maybe a user went to the signup page. Maybe an admin went to the add new user page or whatever else. There's a whole bunch of different ways we can get new users. Well, you might create a job called add new user or greet new user or whatever, and it encapsulates that code. But you don't have to do that. In theory, you could just have that code duplicated four places. So all of these things are really just allowing you to write cleaner code or more reproducible or more testable or drier code or however you want to think about it. But it's not required. The thing that's required is to go to route slash web.php, map a route, and just have some code lined up there that gets run every time that route gets hit. Cool. So first question is, uh, you talked a lot about your, your tw was it Twitch streams that you were doing? Uh-huh. Uh, I know that um, a lot of streams on Twitch are kind of available for a certain amount of time and then they drop off. Do you have like a YouTube channel that they yeah. are on? or? So I used to do only Twitch streaming um, and I would manually go over to each stream after I was done and then save it over to YouTube. Um, but now I have, I'm using something called Restream. I just literally started using it yesterday and it streams them to both Twitch streaming and YouTube streaming. And when you stream to YouTube, it saves the videos later. So you can watch me live in both places, but also now there's going to be there. And I, I, I don't fully understand how those links all work. So I just like, I built a site, page on my site that's mattstoffer.com slash stream. It's got a link to my YouTube stream URL, my Twitch stream URL, and then the best I can find of where the best playlists will be for all those old streams. And as I have a better understanding of how to link to them, I'll just update that page right there. So there can at least be a single canonical source for all this. And if you go there right now, you can see my Twitch streams from back when I used to stream, including, so when Vue first came out, there weren't any really great learning resources out there. And Laravel community somehow just got into Vue really early. Like Taylor, who created Laravel, was said, you know, it's time for me to not just use Angular all the time. I want to learn one of these modern frameworks. He tried React. He hated it. And somebody linked him and said, hey, there's this new thing called Vue. It's kind of like Angular. Check it out. And so he did. And so I streamed myself learning Vue for the first time without really any websites back in November 20th of 2015 is one of these. So if you want to see me being a complete <laughs> idiot back in the pre 1.0 versions of Vue, those are still live there as well. And there's quite a few examples on here where I was building a, an application. You can watch me build it. Those are a lot more just, here's what I'm doing. Watch me twitch it. The, the thing I'm trying to start right now is building a Laravel app from scratch day one. So it's a little bit more tutorial, a little bit less, just kind of bringing people into whatever the heck I'm doing at the moment. Is there cool. a chat or anything? Well, yeah, so Twitch so people and can YouTube. Ask questions? Yeah, Twitch and YouTube both have chats and then Restream okay. aggregates both of those chats and it puts it oh, in okay. my browser for me. And it has this really cool thing where when you're streaming you can embed like a browser window on the side of your stream. So they offer a uh, aggregated um, chat view that I embed in the side of the stream. So if you're watching the stream later, um, first of all, YouTube's really cool and it replays the YouTube chats like in the YouTube interface. But let's say that wasn't working or whatever else. The actual video has the chat that I'm responding to embedded in the video uh, along the left side. So, and you won't see that for all of them. But in again, in the one I started yesterday, so the most recent one, that'll that'll be the case going forward. But yeah, so cool. I, I spend half of these Twitch streams just answering questions. And one of the cool things is I've been doing it long enough that I've started realizing that people like helping during those streams. So um, Laravel 6 just came out like two, yesterday, I think. And I just, I haven't gotten to work with it yet. And so I was like, ooh, I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to show people how to create this thing from scratch. 
and some of the things I always do on apps aren't there in Laravel 6. And I'm sitting here on a Twitch stream in front of all these people looking like a total idiot, like I tend to do in these streams. <laughs> and then I'm like, I was like, hey, you know what? Can one of y'all go look up this thing for me and I'll go work on something else? And so I just worked on something else. And by the time I got back to that thing I was stuck on, the, the people in the chat had looked it up and pasted code samples for me. And, and then I was able to keep running with it. So it's this really fun collaborative experience. That's cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's taking pair programming to the extreme. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got both the value of the pairing, but also like the intensity of somebody else watching you times like you know fifty or a hundred or whatever. So, um, yeah, that that's awesome. Uh, we'll definitely check that out and link all these uh, things that Matt's talking about on the show notes. Um, but the second thing that I want to ask you was, uh, you mentioned a lot of um, kind of like Swiss Army knife functionality of Laravel. Mm -hmm. So like sending emails, authentication, um, different forms of templating, view, all that stuff kind of like is not maybe maybe not baked in, but readily available whenever you're running a Laravel project or mm -hmm. working on one. So um, how do you kind of cope with that for, you know, somebody that's just starting like, you know, there's maybe a section of it that works for authentication and then like, oh, well, what if I need to do templating? Should I use Blade or should I use view or kind of how, how do you manage that when you're when you're teaching Laravel yeah I think there's there's two aspects to the answer one of them is what I believe in every context would not just teaching is use the simplest thing that will work um, I think as programmers we often kind of get excited about the new and the shiny or the complicated um, and there will be just kind of movements throughout the programming community where all of a sudden we'll all start using you know whatever the latest fad is and I remember a lot of them recently in the last few years have have D's in them so there was domain driven design and there was behavior driven design and there was you know serverless is hot now and and there's value in those things but often we can get so excited about using all the newest and latest and hottest tooling that we impede our ability to a learn and b just learn you know you use the thing that is the minimum amount of complexity and future tech debt and future cost of learning for the next person or cost of remembering for me in six months because we're excited about something and so my priority always is use the simplest thing that will do the job and so i think that's true for learners as well um, but then the other half is don't force yourself to do something other than what you know of what you know is working right it's like a it's a kind of the flip of the same coin so for example if i'm working with a view developer i probably would encourage them to build view apps that consume laravel apis rather than learning blade um, if i'm working the react developer the same way but if somebody doesn't have that level of javascript competence then i would definitely say start with the simplest possible way of doing it there are some reasons why even with a view developer i might consider recommending that you learn blade because it's very simple to learn. And if you do that, then you don't have to learn APIs. Uh, and learning APIs, even though building APIs with Laravel is super, super simple, building production-ready, robust APIs in any framework requires you to be making a lot of decisions and a lot of implementation things about are you using, you know, uh, how are you handling pagination? Are you having a links thing? What are things embedded in? There's a lot of decisions and there's a lot of implementation patterns that are introduced that aren't introduced when you're just using Blade. So for that reason, unless someone was an experienced API developer that uses Vue, I'd probably still recommend at least getting comfortable with Blade. But one of the values of 
you know, like for example, in that circumstance, if somebody knew you really well, doesn't understand APIs at all, I would say learn enough Blade that on that page you can embed a single view component and then you can pass the data in from Blade as props to your view component. And then you don't have to worry about APIs. That data just gets literally rendered by PHP in the Blade as props on your view component and the view component gets them as props, doesn't care where it came from. And then now your view component has everything when it's mounted already. You don't have to worry about API calls and then just do what you want with the data. So eventually it'll probably need to send a post request. You'll have to get Axios running. You'll have to build APIs, but defer those complicated decisions as long as you can. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so I've got uh, maybe one more, a little more advanced question about uh, Laravel, and that has to do with um, Laracon that, that just happened. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of buzz about um, some new features coming. Um, in particular, like the whole serverless thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, maybe some more astute people out there listening would think like, oh, Laravel, you know, that's not that great because it's a monolith and I can't like build it to scale and, you know, maybe they're into DevOps or whatever. But now, uh, I guess at Laracon, they've announced that, uh, you can now run kind of like serverless PHP, um, so can you maybe explain that a little bit and maybe tell us if you think it's great or bad or, or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. And I, just to, to address one of the, the things you said before, just for a second, um, Laravel doesn't have to be a monolith. Uh, we have plenty of Laravel microservices. There is a microservice tar targeted kind of sister of Laravel called Lumen. Um, that is basically Laravel optimized to shave off 30 or 40 milliseconds that doesn't come with the view layer, doesn't come with the auth layer, and it's just for the, um, APIs. But honestly, what we found is that when we need to spin off a microservice, we just make a new Laravel app because there's so many things we can do so much more easily to, to optimize for speed, even just sometimes throwing varnish in front of something um, that you know, but we have plenty of people who have 20 microservices. They're all just individual like Laravel microservices, and some of them never render a single view. Laravel's great for APIs. Like I could go on a whole podcast rant about writing APIs in Laravel. So for starters, that that's not a problem. And we've got, you know, like because you have this thing where each request is spun up independently and because of Laravel's configuration system, doing horizontal scale with Laravel is extraordinarily easy because you're not worrying about how much in sync they are because each request really considers itself independent of all the other requests are being made anyway. So the only things you really have to worry about scaling are your persistence, you know, your database and everything like that. And that's going to be the case in any language you're dealing with. So there's nothing inherent about Laravel or PHP that makes it hard to scale with them. Um, but with serverless, so traditionally serverless has been JavaScript and then, you know, some other folks have been getting it. But what does it look like to run PHP in a full stack application application framework on it? Well, one of the reasons that Laravel is successful as it is, is because Taylor, the guy who created it, um, was able to go full time on Laravel by building software as a service that target Laravel developers. And that's how he makes his money. And so by doing that, first of all, he provides a service to the Laravel community. But second of all, he brings in enough revenue that he can work on Laravel full time, which means Laravel grows faster. So the first one was Forge, which is for spinning up very traditional VPSs. The second one was Envoy, which was zero downtime deploy. There's a few other ones, but the one he worked on this year. So basically 10 months full time with him and potentially some of his employees, I'm not sure working on how to solve the challenge of hosting PHP and not just PHP scripts, but full stack PHP on Lambda. Um, and it's, there's a lot about it that I don't know yet because I don't have access to it yet. So all I know is the conference talk, which is available online. I did write a blog post. If you just go to mattstaffer.com and look for Flare is what it's called. It's like probably my second most recent blog post right now. I wrote up everything he said at the conference, um, but I'm not a serverless guru or anything like that. You know, So I know, I'm sure that someone who's very technically capable would be able to poke holes in my explanations. But the simplest thing is he did it. 
And what it does is it basically <laughs> takes all of the um, the assets and spins them up and sends them out to S3 um, and then rewrites a lot of the internal knowledge that Laravel has of where it's pulling its dependencies and where it's pulling its assets from. And then it pulls those things down from S3 and then the, the remaining much simpler core of the Laravel app that you built then is just served directly from Lambda. And they just announced something yesterday that makes the cold boot a lot faster. So that's addressed some of the issues that people might have traditionally had with what would it look like to run um, you know, PHP in, in serverless. But the simplest thing is we have a software as a service called Flare. No, Vapor. Sorry, something called Flare just came out yesterday. It's called Vapor. Um, <laughs> there's yeah, there's that, that many products coming out, right, in the Laravel world. It's called Vapor. Um, and so we have a software as a service called Vapor that will be open in the general public within a week that's created by the guy who created Laravel. And one of the things he did as he was writing Vapor is he snuck code into Laravel core that made Vapor more possible um, so that, in theory, somebody could create a Vapor competitor and all that code that allows Laravel to run on serverless is now in there for anybody to work with. Um, but we have it and you you log in and you spin up a vaporless you know the, the equivalent of a server um you set up all your rules about how it works and just like any other lambda based serverless hosting you've got laravel up on there i would speak in more depth but like i said i've never used it and i'm not a serverless guru and i've i've been wondering about the day when serverless either totally makes php you know like uh inadequate and and out of date or we find the ability to serve our, our applications on serverless and thankfully it was the second one um, but I don't know if you guys have questions, but like I said, I'm kind of a noob here. Um, so what I know is I'm going to log in there. I'm going to pay them whatever, 10 bucks a month or whatever else it ends up being. And I'm going to put all my apps on it and see how they perform. So, but there's quite a few dozens, if not hundreds of production apps already running on it. Cause there's a couple thousand people that are using it already and all seem to be doing well, including vapor itself is uh, running on vapor. So interesting. So uh, what was that service you were talking about? Was it Forge? What, what yeah. is Forge again? So Forge uh, is forge.laravel.com, and that's been out for about five, four or five years, and that makes it really easy for you to hook Forge into your server provider, so DigitalOcean or Linode or AWS. And what it does is it <coughs> spins up an instance of a basically like a Laravel preferred Ubuntu server that has all the right PHP set up, all the right MySQL set up, and Redis and all these other things. And through a user interface, you can also then add sites and configure the sites and turn on queue workers and daemons and cron jobs and all the other things you need to do to manage a basic server. And you can also set up your firewall rules and your, your private network. So you can actually do some more complicated DevOps stuff there. Um, and so the vast majority of people who have like an average size site and have a small DevOps team who are in the Laravel world just use Forge for spinning that stuff up now. Um, you can also add your SSH key so you can SSH into the server. It's just an Ubuntu box that you're spinning up there. But all the basic management tasks that you need to do on your average you know, Ubuntu server to serve Linux, you just do in Forge. So if someone were to have gone far enough down the Laravel world that they wanted to start running this stuff until Vapor really proves itself out and is actually available to the public, just go sign up for Forge, sign up for a DigitalOcean account, spin up the cheapest DigitalOcean box you can off of Forge, and instantly you're ready to host, you know, one or more sites on that with very little work on your side. So is that uh, one site per, uh, is it a droplet on DigitalOcean? It's a droplet, it like... but you can have as many sites as you want. So Forge spins up the droplet and then gives you admin access to that droplet. And you can do things to the droplet itself, like turn on queue workers, turn on crons, but then you can also add sites to that droplet. And a site is basically a definition of one or more URLs that should be served from a directory. And that directory, it then automates putting things in that directory for you. Like for example, you can set up um, you know, this repo on GitHub from this branch, 
every time I push up to it, auto deploy, run this bash script after I auto deploy that will migrate or whatever else, npm install and npm run dev or whatever, or run, run prod. And then all of a sudden it's serving to the internet. So a lot of our actual production sites, once we set it up once and point the IP address, of the DNS over to this forge, the, the DigitalOcean droplet that forge manages for us, we don't have to think about it again because the moment we merge to master or whatever the workflow is for this particular app, it just gets auto deployed. And some people use forge with CICD services, um, you know, like GitLab or whatever, but it's got the stuff out of the box to get at least a pretty decent, you know, swath of the production websites out there. Again, larger, more complicated tools might, or teams might start with Forge and then build their own tooling on top of it. And this helps because you can build um, an AWS EC2 instance um, here as well. So the AWS folks might do that and then take it over and do all of their complicated AWS stuff there. But it at least gets you set up. And for quite a few people, it's enough to keep it running. So you can go from Forge to not only DigitalOcean, but uh, you can get like your own Linux environment on AWS if you wanted as well. Yep. And is Forge, did you say it was like, what, 10 bucks a month? I don't know what it is today. It was originally 10 bucks a month, so it might be 20 bucks a month, but it's a one-time fee for unlimited management for as many services as you want. So you basically pay for Forge once, you know, once a month or once a year, whatever, and then you give it authentication tokens to your DigitalOcean, Linode, or whatever else boxes, and then they just charge you whatever their normal server costs are. So there's no increased cost to your Forge subscription, depending on how many servers you have spun up. Cool. Awesome. So um, that sounds like a, a pretty good accelerator if you just want to like, oh man, it is. You know, <laughs> pay the price of a pizza and just you know get it on the get it on the cloud. So, uh, Eddie, do you have any uh, any other burning PHP questions before we talk about Nerd Minute stuff? Uh, no, I'm I'm good. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, we're we're brand new to PHP. <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah, this is all really new. To me. All, all this stuff uh, is like uh, some diligent pre-research <laughs> for up. sure. Yeah, I didn't um, have any of the like bootcamp experience uh, PHP stuff that you did. Right. Like this, the second half of that week, they the teacher decided to like not do it, and then we all worked on our projects. So yeah, so that with with our bootcamp, um, it's like a one week at the end is uh, whatever's popular in the community. Got it. So it could be Java or Python or PHP or whatever. And so they chose PHP for us in Orlando because there's a lot of PHP work out here. And um, it's, it's such like a neglected part of the curriculum yeah. that they were just like, well, we'll just skip it. <laughs> yeah. And so in, in our class, like they tried to run Laravel and it was like an older version because the curriculum hadn't been updated. And so, you know, everybody was like on different versions and stuff and it was kind of a nightmare. Yeah. We but, never uh, got there at all. We did some really yeah. basic PHP stuff, just going over syntax. And then, um, the next day we, I guess the class voted on, um, just going into the project and do more react stuff. Yeah. So. We, uh, we had to install like MAMP and WAMP and stuff. Uh, yeah. And then we, then we didn't use it and yeah. we installed composer and some other stuff. So it was like, to my mind, like the memory of it is kind of a, like a, a circus a little bit. Yeah. But, um, well, if it, yeah, it, definitely we'll be checking out uh, some of your, your streams and stuff to see how much simpler it could be. Yeah. And if any of your listeners are boot camp or university leaders or whatever else, I would love to be a part of helping that process be easier for people who are trying to do it. And like I said, I'm trying to build all these websites for that on ramp and YPHP, but I'm also just interested in figuring out what does it look like for me to make it easier through whatever tooling is is available. So if it means me kind of like hanging out with some bootcamp owners and helping them learn how to do this, cool. I'm down for it. So cool. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. So before we, we move into Nerd Minute, um, 
I just want to give you another chance to plug uh, whatever you want to plug. So website and all your streams and all that good stuff. Sweet. Well, I am um, at Stauffer Matt, S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R Matt on Twitter. Uh, I'm MattStauffer.com. My company is Titan. Um, so like you're tightening a screw. So T-I-G-H-T-E-N dot C-O. And we're a web application consultancy. We got 20 people spread around North America and we do Laravel, React, and Vue. Um, and I've got a book. If you're the book sort and you want to learn Laravel, I've got an O'Reilly book called Laravel Up and Running. You can just find it on Amazon or whatever else. And uh, those things are all cool, but the majority of my time and attention these days, of course, I want Titan to keep running. So, you know, if you need that kind of work done, come our way. But the majority of my time and attention and interest is, like I said, helping the Laravel ecosystem be um, available to more people. So that would be onramp.dev. That would be a little bit of, you know, yphp.com, omgphp.com. I wish I remembered all the, the domains I got for all these. I, I remember the domain names, but not the TLDs. I know it's definitely onramp.dev and that's the main one I'm going to be spending my energy on. And then yeah, mattstopper.com slash stream. Come hang out in the streams or check them out later. Um, but I, I am increasingly active on Twitter, trying to interact with people outside of the Laravel ecosystem, trying to make um, this accessible to folks. So if you find yourself stuck, even if I can't help, um, I would love to help you find people who who can. So hit me up on Twitter, like I said, at Stop at Twitter, and I think that'd be the best place to kind of actually interact with me if you if you don't have time to sit on an hour long Twitch stream in the middle of the workday. So <laughs> you, you've also got some podcasts, right? Uh, oh yeah, podcasts and Five Minute Geek Show. <laughs> yeah, so I have I wouldn't call this it's just my casual stuff. That's called the Five Minute Geek Show, um, and that's just me spouting off ten to fifteen minutes at a time, not five at a time, about what I think we should be like <laughs> and and social issues and stuff like that. Um, the Laravel podcast has gone through multiple seasons. Um, the most recent season, I did all interviews of people in the community, so people could get to know like who's actually around here. It was both to to put a personal side behind the big names that you know. But also to introduce introduce folks who were doing amazing stuff who people never heard of, and they would after the interview they'd message me on Twitter say, "I can't believe this person was out there. They're so amazing. I want to be their best friend now." Um, that <laughs> season's over though, and the next season I've decided is going to be targeting beginners, unsurprisingly. So I'm just in the middle, the beginning plans um, or stages of planning it. But my goal is to have each podcast or each episode be with me and a guest who knows a lot about a particular piece of the Laravel world, whether it's you know routing or hosting or security or authentication, whatever, and say, let's imagine that someone who'd never worked in Laravel ever before were to want to listen to an hour about authentication in Laravel. How could we make it as accessible? possible during that hour and get them as much useful information as possible so i'm lining up guests to try and make that happen and the goal would be that would just be one more piece of on-ramp so on-ramp will have my twitch streams it will have links to laracast videos i have links to articles and books and it'll have podcast episodes and hopefully because you know everybody learns really differently right so hopefully mm -hmm. we will get to the point where not only does each person have the opportunity to learn the way they learn but if someone's just geeking out they can just completely inundate themselves with resources from every particular angle whether you're in the car or whatever else it is to learn that kind of stuff so yeah laravelpodcast.com um five minute geek show.com there's probably other things that i forgot but thanks for reminding <laughs> me about those so <laughs> hey no problem <laughs> Yeah, that, I'm actually uh, excited about it because I'm obviously a podcast person. So uh, uh, I'm kind of interested to hear, you know, maybe some shows where you, you deep dive into some aspects of Laravel or getting started or setting up like, uh, I don't know, sending emails or, or whatever mm -hmm. kind of like niche services are available to it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, end of every show, we do a little segment called Nerd Minute. Uh, like the five minute geek show, it's never one minute. Or five, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, we just talk about, you know, video games or comic books or whatever we're into lately. So, uh, Matt, you're the guest. Uh, we'll start with you. What are you, uh, 
What are you getting into lately? Um, a lot. I, I could talk for a very long time, um, but I'll just go with what's in front of me, which is a comic book and my Switch. So on my Switch, I had stopped playing Switch for the longest time, and I wanted to get back into it because I saw a lot of interesting games are coming out, but I'm a completionist and I won't let myself buy a new game if I've got a whole bunch of incomplete games out there. So (laughs) I went through and I finished Breath of the Wild and remembered why it was my favorite video game I've ever played. And it was really wonderful. I think I had one more of the big beasts left and then beat the the, the last guy. And oh, that was such a joy. And then it's like when you were reading this really amazing book or watching a really incredible TV show and then all of a sudden it ends and you're just feeling like that universe is kind of like missing within you a little bit. So then I was like, gotta find something else to play so um so but i did just learn that snes games are about to get added for free for people who are uh nintendo switch online subscribers and so i'm yeah. just i'm just ready for that so um so that was that's where i am in the switch and then i'm reading i actually so i i got into comics really late in life i got a um, marvel unlimited subscription or whatever the marvel online services and just read through like probably thousands of comics um all in the span of like a year and and then what's that i said yeah it was a lot (laughs) so there's this marvel has an alternate universe um i'm trying to remember what it's called i I got really into it and then had to back down because i consumed they have a couple yeah Yeah, so they have one main one though where they kind of rebooted it in the 2000s ultimate ultimate yes so i figured i can't read any of these these marvel characters who are in episode 300 and have any idea what's going on as somebody who's coming to comics this late in life but i can start you know, with something that only has a couple hundred comics. And so I basically found one of those like Marvel ultimate reading order things and just read through that, like beginning to end. And that was, it was good, but I didn't get to the end. And at some point I was like, I can't do this anymore, but I I got a lot of the (laughs) basics. So now I'm at the point where I I have unsubscribed from my pull list. There's so many things I was reading. I was just overwhelmed by, and now I'm just going to get picky. I'm going to say there's a couple comics that I really like enough to put a lot of my time and energy into. Um, so in terms of active ones, I'm really into, um, Ironheart, um, who is the new, um, uh, Iron Man, but it's like a young black girl from Chicago who is very interesting and a much more robust character than a lot of these young girl ones have been. And I'm reading Shuri, who is not as robust as a character as I want, but I'm obsessed with all things Black Panther, so I'm reading it anyway. Um, but okay. you, you guys can see this, but nobody else can. But there's this book series called Saga. Oh, Saga. Oh, oh my yep. crap. I'm just, yeah. re- and this is one of these ones where I'm like, I'm buying the trade paperback. So this is whatever, six episodes at a time. And I could read this whole thing in one sitting. That's like a $10 book. And I'm, and so I'm like forcing myself to move really slowly <laughs> through it. So I think that's the main thing. Oh, last thing. Sorry. So everyone who didn't hear, hear this, I made them pause the podcast while the UPS guy came and dropped some stuff off. I am selling all of my single issue episodes of all my comics to a local bookstore and replacing them with trade paperbacks. When it, for anyone who's not familiar, a trade paperback is a collection. Like somebody call them, some people call them graphic novels. But if you collect five or ten issues into a single thing that more, looks more like a book, it's like thicker. That's called a trade paperback, and it's easier to read. It lasts longer, and it looks way better on your shelf than a whole bunch of just loose um, issues. So I don't know if either of you guys read comics at all, but like, have you ever done yeah. that? Or oh, yeah. do you, do you still collect all the single episodes, or what do you do with that? So I used to have a pull list and I would go down to the comic store like every week and just get a couple of issues. And then I would have big, long white boxes with yeah. like boards and sleeves and stuff and just put all the comics in there. But uh, since I've switched, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Since I've switched uh, entirely to digital, 
So um, now I read everything on like the computer or on a tablet or something okay. because I don't want to store like hundreds of comics exactly. in my office yeah. or under my Yes, yeah, same here. My garage is full of um, <laughs> long boxes. So yeah, okay. digital is way better. And I yeah. like the, um, depending on the reader you use, you can, it'll zoom into one panel and tell you the order of you know, which uh-huh. you should be reading. Yeah. Which is cool for someone that's new to comics. If you, you it could be a little confusing when you're reading a page. Yeah. Uh, which is cool for my daughter. Uh, but yeah, it's cool. Uh, if you, if I'm allowed yeah. to ask, how old's your daughter? Cause my son's seven and I've been getting him into comics, but sometimes it's hard to find stuff that target kids. She's nine. Um, she's been in and out of it since about okay. seven. And so yeah, it started with like teen Titan comics. Okay. Like we went to free comic book day and she picked up a couple of things and, nice. uh, so she'll read it here and there. She was reading Miss Marvel. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, if you have Amazon Prime, there's a bunch of free trades. Really? Uh, yeah. I so no there was a Miss Marvel trade. So she, I put that on a tablet and she's been reading that. Nice. Yeah. Um, my son, so IDW makes a whole bunch of, they're, they're, they're called Marvel something. And it's basically like specifically targeted kids version of Black Panther, Avengers, whatever else. And they just started coming okay. out. So he's been reading those. And if anybody, if any kids want like classic superheroes, that is absolutely the way to do it. And I can't remember what they're called. It's like Marvel. I don't I think it's called Marvel classic. It's called something else, but it, it just looks like, Hey, somebody started this character from relative scratch, but it's obviously kid targeted. And so if you go to any, any um, comic book store, they've got them. And so he really loves the more classic superheroes. Like I've tried, I'm like, Oh, well, moon girl is like a little bit younger and he just doesn't like moon girl at all. <laughs> Who is moon girl? <laughs> uh, so have you ever heard of devil dinosaur? No. So there was an old comic that I think it was, you know, um, Jack, Jack, I forget their names. So the old school Marvel guys, Jack uh, Stanley and Jack, Jack Kirby. Kirby. Yeah, Kirby. And so they made this one called Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur or something like that. And it was never all that popular, but it was kind of interesting. And somebody rebooted it a couple of years with, once again, you know, a young black girl who was a super genius. And something happened where Devil Dinosaur got transported into time in a modern day. And do you know about the whole thing with um, the Terrigen cloud and all that kind of stuff? Uh, with the what are they called the Inhumans um, yes, so if anyone's not familiar the, the idea in Marvel these days is that there's a whole bunch of people among us who have latent mutant abilities that don't know about it and there was an event in the Marvel universe where this green cloud went through the whole world and like thousands of people all of a sudden went into an egg woke up overnight and had new powers and so it introduced a lot of new and interesting characters including ms marvel um mm-hmm. and so moon girl's one of them but as far as i can tell so far moon girl's power is that every once in a while she swaps bodies with this giant dinosaur from the cretaceous period or something like that and that's it <laughs> but you know it's it's a young kid going to school with superpowers who's a super genius and so the premise is really interesting but the stories itself i don't actually like that much um so so, um, yeah, and I mean, like, and I'm, I'm sorry if this gets political, but my kids are multiracial, and so I really want them to see representation of their skin color and their culture in the comics that they read. And if you read classic comics, there's not a lot of options for that. So I'm really intentional yeah. on trying to give them. That's why I've got Shuri and Ironheart and all these kind of things. But I also want to give them comics that are good. And I've just, th- I think that with Moon Girl, I was willing to give up on it. But my, oh man, Miles <laughs> Morales, like literally when he was like four years old or something like that, he said, he looks like me. And I'm like, oh, this is the <laughs> Holy Grail comic. <laughs> and when we watch, y'all, when we watch Into the Spider Verse, oh my goodness. It's a great movie. He was like a new yeah, like child after that movie because he see he looks just like Miles Morales. So he was freaking out, man. Plus, it was a That's fantastic cool. movie. So, anyway. Maybe you uh, could get him started on Ultimate Spider Man. 
because uh, that that whole storyline came from that book. Yeah. So what I got was a um, it's a it's not a trade paperback, but with kids they do even bigger, thicker trades where it's like way more than five episodes, um, and it's a Miles Morales one, and they put it in like a smaller form. It feels a little bit more like a chapter book, and so he just got that like a week ago. So we've been slowly working through that, and he's he's really happy because I'd I tried to get him the the ultimate. Miles Morales, but it's just a little more violent than I think that he's ready for. Um, and so that's yeah, why okay. getting these ones that are specifically targeted, the kids has been a lot more helpful. And you know, a lot of the classic superheroes, I'm like, Oh, he loves Spider-Man, but I don't, I'm not going to read him the majority of the Spider-Man comics out there. So I really focus on the kid targeted <laughs> stuff, you know? So yeah, uh, a lot of Spider-Man is kind of not bad, but then there are, of course, you know, like different writers come on a book and then they get yep. into some crazy storyline. Yep. You're like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Yeah, and <laughs> even in like this Man. kid's Black Panther I was talking about, he, I let him read those kids one on his own without me because I trust that it's the kids one and it's not going to be scary. And he had bad dreams and I had to have him stop reading the Black Panther one. Be- and I was like, well, what happened? And I read through it and the guy's, the guy's head got knocked off like literally head oh. on the floor and the head starts talking to people and this oh, all this stuff wow. and i'm like and I, I, so you know i think that everybody's just got different um standards for what their kids are comfortable with you know and so that's i just got to remember that you know he's he's a little kid and you know i got to keep my eye on those things so yeah that's uh that's kind of that disparity between the comics version of the heroes and then like what you see on tv so like you know at the time that adam west was batman you go into a store and buy like Batman comics and it's like uh, Neil Adams and those guys mm-hmm. and Batman's like you know punching people to yep. <laughs> put them in the hospital <laughs> and stuff. So and meanwhile, um, Adam West is bam piff pow kind of <laughs> silliness. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The whole grim dark Batman where he's like the Dark Knight and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, going back to uh, your your Switch games, uh, real quick, like what Nintendo or Super Nintendo game are you excited to be playing on Switch? Probably Metroid. I, I'm a big fan of just the general like Metroidvania. Like I, I just like a map on a side scroller that I get to explore and getting power ups and stuff like that. So I just finished Celeste, um, which is kind of a little bit in that same world and really, really loved it. Okay. And I found that that is just my main type of game. Like I'm a pretty simple guy. I don't play sports games. I don't play a lot of shooting killing games. I just really like Mario and you know, I played Sonic as a kid. We had a Genesis and Metroid and that kind of stuff. So I'm sure there's other ones that I'll like and enjoy, but I found that those are the ones that I really just kind of get totally uh, eaten up into. What about you guys? You have any? I I do love Metroidvanias. So uh, let me think of some. Hollow Knight <laughs> is one that just came yeah. out. Um, I don't know if you played that one. Uh, I'm going to. I, I played the other night one though, Shovel Knight, which what I thought was going to oh, be okay. Hollow Knight, and it wasn't, and I was totally thrown for a loop. But, but yes, <laughs> that I, game's supposed to be good too. It was yeah. fun. It's not what I was expecting, but it is a lot of fun yeah. once you get into it. So I, I got a couple levels into that one so far, but it's uh, it's more maybe more like Mega Man ish yeah, than good. Castlevania. <clears throat> you um, played Super Meat Boy. Super Meat Boy. Oh, I, I'm not um, a fan. I've never uh, heard that of game's it. great. Okay, it's really hard. It's, that's like a super hard platformer. Yeah, kind of thing. don't have your kid play that one because it's like Meat Boy flying into razor blades and stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and honestly, like he, I don't know if it's okay. on the Switch though, but okay. um, it's on yeah, PC. It's, it's on everything. Yeah. My my son also just same as with comics he's is this way with games is that a lot of games just overwhelm him and you know we found that like I like the games that have a bumper mode are my favorite games where they you know you can't actually die you just get enwrapped in a bubble that pulls you back from the ledge you just fell <laughs> off or Super Mario has actual bumpers where or Super Mario Kart yeah. where it keeps you from falling off the edge so that's again looking for those games where and my daughter's three and once I get bumper mode on something she'll even play and so they both of them love just basically playing Super Mario Kart or 
um, I forget which Mario game is, but there's one of the Mario games that has the easy mode, and so they've been playing that. It might be Odyssey, but I'm not sure. So yeah, I think it, it has an assist or something. Like yeah, that. they call it assist. Yeah, it's the same thing where yeah. you you don't run out of hearts if you stand in one place for too long. Then it just starts giving you hearts back, and if you fall off the edge, it like brings you. <laughs> so it's the same thing. Like they don't get scared of what's going to happen when this bad guy kills me or whatever. So okay. I've got uh, two recommendations for you for Switch, and they're both PC games that are coming to Switch. Okay. Uh, the first is Minit, M-I-N-I-T, right. oh, okay. and that's a uh, it's like a top-down Zelda-like kind of game where you find a cursed sword that uh, only gives you like 60 seconds to live, and then it kind of puts you in this Groundhog Day kind of thing. Okay, <clears throat> There's not like any graphic violence or anything to it. You just kind of like... You know, you fall over and then you wake up back in your house. Yeah. Isn't it black but, and white uh, or something like that? It's yeah, it's it's like a one bit kind yeah. of game. It's black and white. Nice. Uh, very interesting mechanics to it and and pretty fun. And then the second one is called. Uh, we we've covered it a couple times on the show. It's um, Baba is you. Oh yeah. So that's like a a puzzle game, but it's also top down eight uh, bit graphic kind of thing. And it has to do kind of with like programming puzzles oh, cool. where you have variables on the screen. So it'll say like um, fire is like death or something. And then like uh, key is unlock or something. You can actually go outside of the map and move those variable assignments around to change the behavior of the game. Oh. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, it's yeah, really, really cool, really cool concept. Yeah. So I think uh, you would really enjoy that as a programmer and maybe get your kids into yeah, it. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Thanks for that recommendation. Yeah, my my son has a little um a little robot that with an iPod you can just do really basic things with it, but it's got a programming mode where you can actually learn programming and it moves, but he couldn't read until very recently, so he would just uh, skip that. And I just remembered right when you said I was like, "Wait a minute, he could read now. We could go play with that. Maybe he'll learn these things." <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Eddie, you got anything? Um, I uh, just before the hurricane, um, I got a uh, Crash Team Racing on PlayStation, okay. which is okay because I I remember playing it for like the PS One. Yeah, I was really into it. But I play a lot of Mario Kart with my daughter, and playing this, the the way you drift is completely different. Oh gosh, and I can't I can't get used to it. So I got kind of <laughs> upset, and I don't really play it as much. <laughs> <laughs> but is it fair so that she now beats you? Um, <laughs> or? Oh, she! I, I let her play first because you have to go through like part of a story mode before you can open up this like the other races. So, okay. um, but she was doing okay. Yeah. So, but I don't. It, it's been kind of hard to come in the first because I can't drift the way I'm used yeah. to. That's the, truth the timing on it's so tricky. It's it's nothing like Mario Kart. Like I, I, I want to okay. actually try hard against my kids and let them like try to get better, but I don't want to beat them all the time. And so that's one of the yeah. rules I said is when I play Mario Kart with them, I don't drift, I don't use any items. And then every once in a while I'll add another handicap such that I can get to the point where it's an actual fair game. And as they get older, I'm hoping I'm removing those restrictions until I can eventually get to the point where you can beat me when I'm actually drifting. But I, I had to, I hadn't realized how much <laughs> drifting matters until I stopped yeah. doing it. And I'm like, Oh, this is oh, awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's uh there's the new Sonic racing game. It's mm -hmm. another kart racer. There's that has like a team aspect to it. Oh yeah. So you can play with your son and then you guys are a team together. And then that contributes to like, like how, what your timing your points and or whatever. Like nice. There's a more of a team aspect. to. That. Have you played it? Um, Do you like it? I, I haven't played it. I just okay. like, I watched a, a quick video on it. Cause I was, I was either going to buy that one or crash team racing. And then, um, I went with crash team racing cause I remember liking it on PS one, but I <laughs> now you regret your forgot about the drifting thing. 
but also uh i was watching this uh new anime with my daughter i don't know if it's new or not but it's on netflix it's called a uh, high score girl hmm. okay. so it's about this this kid that's really into it takes place in the 90s mm-hmm. and this kid's really into arcade games so it's a lot of street fighter 2 Nice. And um, all the video games they play in the show are real video games. So a lot of like beat 'em ups, like Final Fight. Nice. You know, um, all, all that stuff. Uh, and then uh, there's a girl that is his rival, basically. And then it's just him obsessed with a lot of Turbo Graphics 16, too. Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we watched most of that while we were locked inside because of the hurricane and the storm and stuff like that. So it was pretty good. I'd recommend it. It's PG, nice. so no, not, no blood or anything like that. So, thanks, guys. Sweet, this is great yeah. stuff. Yeah, Lee. Yeah, please, uh, please come back on the show so we can tell you more excellent comics. <laughs> <and> yes, <laughs> I'm into. so old. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Cool. So uh, that that's all I've got. Um, okay. uh, Matt, thank you so so much yeah, for coming thanks. on the show. We, we really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. This was a ton of fun. Awesome. Maybe we can uh, we can have you back sometime in the future. Just let me know. I'm in. Thanks for listening to Tech Junior. Head on over to our site at techjr.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, click subscribe to get an email from us once a week with the latest episode and some other goodies. Please follow us on Twitter at TechJR Podcast. You can follow me at Lee Warwick Jr. and Eddie at ED0TER0. Join us next week where we talk with uh, Marissa Morby from Gatsby, and she is a product manager, and we're going to dive into you know, what a product manager does, how they help uh, a company, and why they're important for you as a developer. Um, Marissa also has some design experience, so we're going to dig into a little bit of how to design and kind of think about your users before you sit down and actually start coding. Uh, It was a really great episode, so um, please check it out, and that will be up next Wednesday. Also, come out to DevFest. Uh, I'll throw a link in the show notes. I'll be talking about progressive web apps, so I think they're going to be a very integral part of our industry shortly. So uh, yeah, come check it out if you're in the Orlando area on November 16th. All right. That's all for me. See you next week. Take care.